Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. And this is our fourth season. We're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from TheEthicalPanda.com. And I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And today we're talking about Minute 46, which begins with a flustered Jane saying thank you and ends with the government taking her stuff. Joining us on the show today, I have a guest I'm super excited about. Uh, we have Matt Carroll, one of the two co-hosts of the MCU cast, which recently won the People's Choice Podcast Award for Best Podcast in TV and Film, and founder of the Stranded Panda Podcast Network, which you probably heard me talk about because that's where my other podcasts are found. And Matt, it is so good to have you here. Uh, for people who don't know you, what kind of got you into podcasting about Marvel? Oh, man. Uh, well, I, I was I was doing a little podcasting before, and I always love podcasting. The thing about podcasts that kills me is like listening and I always want to say something back and I can't. So then, uh, when guardians of the galaxy came out, I was like, and as shield had just recently started with season, uh, I was about to start to see second season. I was like, there's enough to podcast about, right? There's like 20, they're going to do like 20 episodes next year. That's plenty to podcast about. And now they've got like 20 <laughs> series a year. Like it's just <laughs> insane. But at the time I was like, there's just enough to start a podcast about. So we did. Yeah, I remember when like we were happy to get one episode a week from you all, and um, now it's gotten a lot it's more. It's insane. <laughs> it's insane. Well, we're going to get to hear all your thoughts about Thor right after this quick promo. Do you want to jump into the conversations with us about Thor and the minutes that we're discussing this week? We have a growing group of Marvel fans just waiting to chat with you over in our Discord server. Head to truestory.fm slash Marvel Movie Minute and click on the Discord link. It's that easy. So let's dive right into this minute. We start with, you know, at the end of the last minute, we saw Jane just getting so flustered. And we, we see that continuing here. Thor's just kissed her hand and she kind of clearly has no idea what to do. I just love this moment, like, because I think this is such a great way of seeing so much of what we've seen from Jane is that she is hard-nosed, she cares about the science, she's trying hard not to get wrapped up in this gorgeous guy who Darcy is no problem staring at, and this seems to be when it really starts to break through. Matt, what would you kind of get about Jane from this that moment? It's interesting, because th this, the core of that relationship is what I, I see i feel bad this is the first minute we're starting with because like i really like this movie but the core of what i don't like about this movie is the fact that thor likes her back by the end <laughs> it's always been this thing of like or not so much that he likes her back I, i'm fine with that it's that like it motivates him to fight harder in the end and like his whole family's dying on asgard and then loki says this thing about like but and then i'll visit your lady on earth and he's like oh now i'm gonna kick your butt <laughs> um, it's like he just he's trying to kill everybody anyway so this is kind of the core of that like relationship starting out and what i like about this scene is jane seems to really be into him as he as she's walking away they like say say goodbye he turns and looks with a very like dumb thor face and like just looks out under the horizon like i'm gonna continue my adventure and and she's like looking back at him like look at me why, why aren't you looking back like we had a connection right and that's how i feel like their relationship should work because he's like hundreds of years or thousands of years old and like has been met many adventures and met many maidens and like i don't see a reason they connect so hard by the end of the movie but like i guess that's a future minute and we have to go along with the the meet cute aspect of this i mean very much romantic comedy type type of thing that's going along in this film like from the moment they first you know hit him in the 
atmospheric disturbance and then they 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 meet eyes over the kind of the flashlight lighting that they have in that particular moment there's that connection and i think that in the world of kind of the rom-com type of of love stories I mean, I, I agree with you. I think that it's just it puts us in a place where we just have to go along with the fact that there was this instant connection between these two people. And it just it has to be something in order for the story to work. Right, right. Although in this moment, Matt, I think what you're talking about is, is kind of like what I'm getting out of this moment. Like Jane is, yeah. I think, besotted could be an accurate term, or at least in this one yeah, moment. Absolutely. I don't think Thor kissed her hand because he's thinking, this is the one, maybe she could be my forever. It's just, it's a pretty girl, and he might be the girl for the night, and so he kisses right. her hand. But it's like, yeah, I think in his mind, it's like it's like a groupie, you know? I'm gorgeous, women love me. Yeah, that's exactly my point, is like, this scene is how I wanted this relationship to continue to go. And like, I really like how he like turns away and like, just has this look to the horizon, and it really is just like... I'm done with these mortals now. Uh, but also when he goes across and says their names and he's like, Jane Foster, Eric Selvig, Darcy, I fell in love with him every time he said one of their names. And like the looks on their faces, they just look so in love with Thor. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, it's such a presentation. And that's that's, I think, part of the reason that they're they've they've constantly been so taken with this person because he he acts this way and and you know eric and darcy are constantly like a little fearful of him but there's something about him that draws you in and it is this and, and in the cafe when he's just like then i will not do it again and he's just so formal and honest and straightforward and he's present and that's what's so interesting about him is he is there in the moment and they all feel it even though he doesn't call out darcy's last name for some peculiar reason and somehow <laughs> now knows jane's and eric's last names i don't know how but still, I love this sense that there is this formality to him and they feel mm -hmm. it and they're they're very drawn to him. We talk about how Darcy often is the audience reaction and her look, especially like Eric looks kind of charmed, but somewhat confused. Darcy just thinks this is the most charming thing ever. And her curtsy like it's so just like, I don't know what to do right now, but sure. And she just has such a look of joy on her face that I just, I, I love it because especially because it's also being made very clear from the start. She is not jealous in the slightest of his attention towards Jane. You know, I, I, I say this is someone who's just so sick of romantic triangles and the fact that there's just none of that from the beginning is also uh, something that makes me love Darcy's reaction all the more. Yeah, she she's just uh, always great. And her her curtsy, like the way she's almost like laughing comedically, like this is weird. OK, sure. I'll curtsy back to you. And Eric, yeah, it's kind of this stiff like, oh, OK, this is how we're doing this sort of bow that he returns. It's very funny. Yeah, he gives <laughs> this little bow. It's very, well, it's very un uncomfortable, but he still feels compelled to do it. Like he still feels like, oh, I'm I feel like I'm talking to a knight of the round table right now. I need to like yeah. <laughs> give a bow. I've seen this in movies, but he's like, this is not my culture. But somehow I feel the compelled to act this way. Very funny. I love that you said that because it made me I, like I felt watching them felt so familiar. And I realized it's what I'm watching is people who are at a Ren fair for the first time and someone who's in full garb comes up to them and says, you know, lady, welcome to the Ren fair. And you're sort of like, um, uh, I, I, hi, you know, curtsy and bow. And, yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize how familiar you were with Ren fairs. I, I have spent a lot of time um, vowing and veeing. Uh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And yeah. the onion continues to be unpeeled. <laughs> 
<laughs> Very much so. I'll tell you sometime about the wedding I performed for people all in Renfair garb. Uh, <laughs> Before we go up the hill, I just want to point out a couple things because I, I like to do this. Let's tour Puente Antiguo every time we get a chance, as you know. So so now we're seeing where the 7-Eleven is. It's right behind Thor. Uh, clearly, it must be next to the post office. There's also a bench in front of it advertising some sort of account center. I don't know who in town is advertising their account center on a bench in front of 7-Eleven, but someone is. Um, now we have a better view of the Mexican food restaurant that is past Donut Land. And then what's very funny, and this speaks very much to the fact that they actually filmed this in an Old West town in New Mexico, as soon as you get past the person who's working on his pickup, the road turns to dirt. And, you know, <laughs> again, for a town that supposedly has over 2,000 people in it, I'd like to think that there were a few more paved roads in town. <laughs> um, but I guess that's uh, that's the way we are. Um, and then as they go around the corner and we go back and they're going up Main Street uh, towards Smith Motors, now we can see that past kind of the the pet uh, the pet store is a place called the Liquor Locker, which I think is just a fantastic name for a for a liquor store. And across the street from that, there is a Christmas everyday shop. I can't imagine that there are enough people shopping in Puente Antiguo for a Christmas everyday shop to stay open. But well, no, you know, you those go. are like things that small towns do. That's like a real thing. Uh, small towns Probably, create, yeah. create Christmas everyday shops because they're a, a destination. Like it's a weird Christmas thing. And in each region, they'll have like a, some small town will create a Christmas store that like people go to when it, if they need something Christmassy for some reason or just to feel Christmassy, I guess. So it becomes like a destination stop on these little small town tours or whatever. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, I was about to make fun, like say that it's kind of playing on the idea of tourists who will try to find like ridiculous little quaint small towns, but but I do that. So <laughs> I, really make fun. I, I would if I was planning a cross country drive through like you know from L.A. to Alabama or something, I would I would totally stop in a, a town that had a Christmas store. So I can that's very funny. It it also it, I love moments like these because it becomes so clear just how much product placement there is yes, in this yes. because you know you do see things like dr pepper and 7-eleven you can tell that those are very different from the usa today mm -hmm. yeah so yeah i i, I yeah. love how much andy's pulling out of this because when we when when i watch this minute uh they say their goodbyes and that's interesting to talk about and then they didn't talk for 20 full seconds and i was like what are we gonna <laughs> do i was already worried about being on marvel movie minute and having enough to talk about and then they didn't talk for tw a third of the thing <laughs> i know there's so much to talk about right this is one of those where we go deep on the technical it's funny we we just last week did a couple of minutes that are so rich in terms of the the loki odin conversations and things like that that we talked almost nothing about the technical side <laughs> yeah right here we get all the silence uh but so then we do get to something i really want to ask you about which is they, they do get up the hill they see shield and you know the mcu better than i but i feel like for me this is a kind of a sea change moment in in the role we're seeing from shield and that in iron man and iron man 2 We'd seen S.H.I.E.L.D. be, like, not bumbling, really, but, like, they were there to help. And you got the sense that they were a little, like, not exactly even comic relief, but, like, their role was to be there when Tony realized he needed help. We never saw them really acting against Tony in the same kind of a way. And uh, Actually, Iron Man 2, there's a good bit of they they come into his life and Nick Fury is really involved in Iron Man 2 more so than Coulson. And Nick Fury shows up and he's like... He forces uh, – he's like, your dad had this big plan. We need you to solve this plan. And there's this whole thing where his dad 
his dad's legacy sort of enters the story and you get this sort of like bossy Nick Fury. Coulson is sort of the bumbling fun guy for most of these yeah. this first phase. But S.H.I.E.L.D. itself, in at least in Iron Man 2, was pretty uh, obtrusive. That's fair. Well, yeah, because, I mean, they did, you know, uh, Fury did assign Coulson to basically keep Tony essentially, uh, you know, locked up in his house so that he could finish all of this stuff before he gets sent off to New Mexico. Yeah, we need to figure out, you to figure out this, uh, whatever the element he creates palladium no palladium's not the element i fear palladium is what he's being poisoned with what is it he makes starkium start is that it, is that really yeah. what he calls it? <laughs> i i feel like it was i can't really they talked about it last season on iron man 2 and i feel like it was something like like yeah. starkium or something that's funny something very tony's tony stark ish yes <laughs> well, well th- thank you again yeah because i i <laughs> Thor, uh, Thor 2 is probably my least favorite. Iron Man 2 is also pretty down there, so I can't say I've, I've seen it again recently. I'm, I appreciate you have. Do you feel like, though, that like what we're seeing of, of Coulson here in terms of the way he's interacting with, with Jane, does this feel new, do you think? Or is this kind of in, in keeping what we saw with him in, in Iron Man 2? It feels pretty in keeping because Coulson's still, and we'll talk, uh, we, we'll talk about it more in the next minute, Coulson's still the guy who's like, hi, I'm Agent Coulson. But like the S.H.I.E.L.D. organization is running around stealing her stuff you know colson's always been the friendly face that interact that interacts with the avengers to sort of like introduce them to shield in a friendly way and there's some interesting lines in the next minute we'll talk about i'm sure definitely what's interesting about your point though matthew that you're bringing up is the fact that this was actually in originally scripted to be nick fury largely throughout this film not colson but they couldn't there were some contract negotiations with Samuel L. Jackson trying to get him to to be in this film, and it never really quite worked out. So they ended up expanding Colson's role to kind of fill in for all the Nick Fury bits that they had. Interesting. And that's what we well, ended up cool. getting. And so that's probably why it might feel to you a little bit more kind of like that Fury approach rather than the Colson approach. Right. Right. I feel like in this scene, Colson uh, in the next minute more so, and we'll talk about it, I guess, when we get there. Sorry, I'm, I'm like, we're dancing on the edge of this scene. Um, <laughs> but, uh, the thing, the, the last thing that interested me in this, in this, this little moment was Eric turning to, um, Jane and saying, like, this is bigger than you know, you need to calm down. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of right before this minute ends. And it's like, so already we're getting this idea that, like, this shadowy organization is sort of, and it's something that Eric fears. Now that is kind of new to this. This this is the the fear that Eric seems to have that is introduced at the end of the scene, into this minute, is like kind of new to Shield. I feel like, and I think especially it's, it's important that it's when he hears the word Shield. Like you see, he's kind of just walking up. He lets Jane go ahead. He hears Shield, and suddenly he hurries. So like, if he, I think the sense of like, if this is just FBI or something, he's not as concerned. But he knows something about that word Shield. Yeah. That that really sets him off. Yeah, I, lo- I love that. There's been a lot of emphasis, kind of in this film, especially like with the people, uh, the townies, uh, uh, Pete and. Uh, uh, what were they, Pete and Jake, mm-hmm. talking in the diner about the government coming in and everything when they were up at the at the impact crater. And it, you know, I, I feel like more so than ever, like this moment is starting to really feel or like these couple minutes are really feeling like a government 
agency coming in. And I know there's kind of been the back and forth about like how government is shield and all that sort of thing. But it's really feeling like this governmental thing. And it does it does have this sense of kind of like this dark shadow government organization suddenly that that is kind of pushing in to kind of like take over this these these things that people keep kind of uh, finding. And so there's there is that dark element. And, you know, there's People love playing up that kind of fear of the government, these dark agencies, shadow agencies, sorts of things. And it feels like they're really playing that up in this particular point here. And one thing I kind of love about that also is that there seems to be this weird double focus that S.H.I.E.L.D. has. And on the one hand, they try pretty hard to stay under the radar. You know, this is not something everyone knows about, like the FBI or the CIA. And yet whenever they show up, they just say like, oh, yeah, we're from S.H.I.E.L.D. Don't worry. You know, and Jane says, like, I, I'm like, that's supposed to mean anything to me. You know, there's sort of interesting dichotomy there of they don't want people to know about S.H.I.E.L.D., but what they want to be able to say, oh, yeah, we're from S.H.I.E.L.D., don't worry, as though that will mean anything to anyone. Right. Which, that's a good point, because in Iron Man, like, <laughs> you don't ever hear Coulson say he's from S.H.I.E.L.D., or, you know, it comes very late. You know, he's it's always the uh, Strategic Homeland Intervention Enforcement Logistics Division, if he's going to say anything. It's, you know, and, and but generally, it's very kind of covert, like, almost like the name itself is a secret. Now, well, yeah, I was going to say, he says in the film, like, we're working on it. Like, we're working yeah, well, on yeah. what we're <laughs> <gonna call> it, <laughs> which exactly. is, is one of the few, like, I have to assume he was joking, because... Like, obviously, they had that because you look at all the other movies to make the canon work. My head canon has to be he was that was just a joke, you know? Yeah. Although the S.H.I.E.L.D. acronym has changed over the course of the comic history. So For it's sure. entirely possible what he meant is the Strategic Homeland Intervention Enforcement and Logistics Division. You know, we're trying to figure out a better acronym. <laughs> I, I mean, as someone who's worked in government and with non-governmental organizations for most of my life, as well as with committees, the idea that there has been some, you know, official committee of the name that meets twice a year for 40 years and hasn't figured anything out is completely believable <laughs> in terms of organizations like this. So yeah. it's also possible. Right. It's well, it's funny because, I mean, you think about like people who like, well, we've got to fit these. It's got to say shield. So we've got to work with those specific letters. And and so anytime people are working to come up with an acronym, like what can what like is it the words first and then we got to shape it so that it fits the word for the acronym? You know, yeah, one of the best process, one of the best threads we ever had in the MCU cast. Uh, well, we have we have a uh, stranded panda chat, which is like a little Facebook chat group, and someone posted some other for form of the word shield. They said, "What does shield mean?" Uh, wrong answers only, and then people started uh, writing shield in different forms, especially our, my my podcast partner Jeff Randall. He wrote like fifteen of them, so I went behind him and wrote a antagonistic version of whatever he said, but to H Y D R A. Like so like went through and like it was so much fun. <laughs> yeah, we should see, see if we can find that link to post because I really love that thread. Hours of funny, just very... going back and forth with Shield and Hydra uh, <laughs> combinations. I do one other moment that really stuck out for me from this minute is Jane saying, like when Eric says just let it go, Jane's saying, let it go, this is my life. Because it just again highlights the difference between the two that he, he, I think is further along in his career. He, he understands the importance of research, but he also understands the importance of kind of like, there's going to be another project. There's going to be another thing to investigate. Whereas for her, she still does like, okay, the cute boys walked out of my eyesight now and I'm back to this single minded focus where you get the sense like this is all she's done for the last, you know, however many years. Well, she's like the the Jodie Foster character in Contact, right? Like she is so focused on this one thing that she's going to she probably will 
continue after this project with Eric and the grants or whatever to just kind of continue going down this road and constantly chasing grants to just keep doing this exact same research as opposed to becoming a professor or switching to a different thing to study. Like she seems the sort who is, is very focused on one particular thing and is just going to kind of, you know, spend the rest of her life pursuing that. And that's, that's, I think an interesting element because yeah, I, I do think that there are times when you have somebody like Eric who probably was passionate about research at one point, but then also kind of switched over to become the more professorial sort and and is less interested in the field research now and just more kind of like that comfortable life of of that and looking forward to his tenure and everything. And it's it's a different kind of mindset that they each have. I also think that it has more to do with Eric's knowledge of shield. Like she is mm, she yeah. is thinking like no this is America, you know what I mean? Like we're going to, we're going to, we're going to stop whatever you're doing. And he's like, uh, no, this is shield. Like, and we don't know yet what he knows about them, at least, uh, uh you know, in this minute. Yeah. In this minute. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Teaser for two minutes from now. <laughs> yeah. And there'll be so much we're going to get into later this week about that. But the one last thing that I want to get into, cause I think it raises a really interesting question about shield is, you know, Colson, in terms of trying to understand it, because like you said, he's very much trying to be the, the velvet glove over the Iron Fist. He wants this to seem friendly, while the other agents are definitely not. But he says that we're investigating a security threat. And that got me thinking, because my, you know, from what I know of what S.H.I.E.L.D. would know at this point, you know, all that most people saw was that a meteorite landed on Earth, maybe two, if you saw Thor coming down. What do you think S.H.I.E.L.D. knows at this point? Do they know anything about the Bifrost? Did their kind of satellites register that this wasn't just a normal satellite? What What do you think is it that makes this a, a security threat that S.H.I.E.L.D. would get involved in? We know from the post-credits of uh, Iron Man 2 that a bunch of people have gathered around Mjolnir and are trying to lift it. So they know that this hammer has landed in the uh, in the in the middle of the desert and that a bunch of people are trying to lift it and it's impossible to lift. So there's something there's an 084 if you're a Agents of Shield fan that has been found. Uh, <laughs> uh, sorry. That's their that's their term for a uh, uh, an object of power that they don't understand. Mm -hmm. So they're they're I think right. that's the thing that's like and then they find out this person's researching, and I'm assuming they have some sort of uh, scanning technology that let them know that something odd happened in the desert, not just a hammer, not just a meteor. Well, according to the MCU wiki, I mean, they had been tracking, like they had already been watching what Jane Foster was up to, mm. and especially when she called Eric to come join her. And so they they knew that there was something happening here. I mean, she had seen, I think at the beginning, 17 of these or similar sorts of strange atmospheric disturbances which basically looked like you know northern lights although they shouldn't have been happening this far south so there was something in the air who knows what it was but it was enough to pique uh, their curiosity and as an organization that you know was tied into some of the people that selvig obviously worked with as we'll talk about in, in coming minutes i feel like that they were kind of latched onto something that was happening here and they felt like there was you know something in the air and so yeah i think you know, but it's also that shadow government organization. They're saying things to these people like, "Oh, we're it's an we're investigating a threat." They're probably just saying that to like just you know as an excuse to take all their stuff. Just like they told all the townies out at the impact crater, "There's something radioactive here. We just need to seal off the area to keep everybody safe." Mm -hmm. You know, they're not actually telling them what's happening. So I think it's just all to get these people out of the way so that they're not uh, you know following up on it. 
Yeah. So they're the only one with the information. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so we do start to get to see a couple of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, and I think we'll probably talk about them in the next minute. But Andy, is there anything with uh, the particular folks we we see in this minute you wanted to bring up? Uh, No, just that there's there are a lot of them. Um, I, I tried to see if I could identify anyone in this particular minute. I couldn't quite tell who's who because the i mean it's a steady cam shot walking around and uh, we're mostly focused on on colson and uh you know uh jane and her team so -hmm. we're not really seeing faces as well um uh, we'll see some more that i think we can identify in coming minutes but there are a lot of them i counted there's at least one who is driving away the first person there's two at her trailer taking stuff out of that it looks like maybe somewhere around seven to ten people walking around inside uh, smith motors um i think largely it's men there are i think a couple women at least um there are a few people of color it's other than that it's you know, kind of generic shield agents really hard to tell who is who right uh, at this particular point which i do think is kind of intentional i mean i get a very strong especially from like we see colson's face but a lot of the others have sunglasses they're all wearing the almost exact same suit it it gives me almost a kind of men in black feel you know the point is you're not supposed to see them with distinguish distinguishing from each other they're all supposed to just blend in as agents for sure because it, it makes it a lot more intimidating well, we'll get into a lot more of that tomorrow. Uh, any other last comments, though, from either of you about this minute? Something we didn't bring up yet? Um, I've got a few other points uh, to bring up. The first one, when the truck is driving away that we that we see, when Jane realizes that they're taking her stuff away, I couldn't help but, well, you're looking at the truck. It looks like there's a base of some big tripod back there, some Pelican cases, which are like the big heavy plastic cases that, uh, that you can put things in that keeps them safe when they're traveling. And it looks like a bunch of wires connect to what to me, look like a bunch of lights. And it actually made me think, is this just actually a bunch of camera equipment and lighting mm-hmm. gear from the production that they just threw in the back of the truck to have drive by? <laughs> because that's exactly what it looks like. All the cameras, totally like the camera department, all their gear is always in these Pelican cases. So I'm like, it just looks like they just had the the camera team, just, you know, the Teamster drive their truck by. It, that's exactly what it looks like to me. So that was very funny. You know, you know William Shatner has... Um this spoken word album in the seventies or whatever. And it's, uh, him doing spoken word. Anyway, there's a, there's a picture on the back of the album cover and he's holding what is a phaser, like, like some sort of phaser. And it's like him doing his Captain Kirk thing, but it's been revealed since then that it's just a tripod. Like he's just holding like a tripod and you can clearly <laughs> see it. Once you know, it's just a tripod. He's just holding yeah. at an angle that looks like a phaser. That's funny. That's fantastic. <laughs> What's what's funny though is in the script they actually call this they they say that she sees them driving away with the tarp and the tarp flips up as it's driving and she sees her dark matter analysis machine underneath. Hmm. I thought that was a very interesting thing for them to throw in here as a scripted item the fact that she's analyzing dark matter this particular place mm-hmm. yeah. for sure. Especially if you look into the other uh, I I don't know much about it from comics but the dark dimension. Uh, which seems to have something to do with dark matter and like dark matter is like weirdly tied into all this other stuff in like, um, especially in the ancient Carter series, there's like a character that feeds on dark matter. That's like from the dark dimension or something like that. And it's, it's a whole, like, it's almost like a different kind of magic that you have to deal with, uh, or science or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Same thing. Yeah. As, as is said in this movie. But, but also I think, uh, Malekith, will end up wielding a dark matter dagger. So, um, oh, yeah. so it's it's interesting how there's potentially a tie-in. Like, again, it's only scripted. It wasn't ever pointed out, but I thought that was an interesting little, <laughs> interesting little thing. So there you go. For sure. 
Well, we're going to have a lot more to talk about over the next couple of days. But Matt, for people who are just hearing you for the first time, um, tell us a little bit more about the MCU podcast. Oh, yeah, man. We do uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast every week. Every piece of content Marvel drops, we'd cover it as soon as possible so very often the night of or day of we even do like late night watches with our uh with our crew over there our um our listeners and we do uh immediate response reaction casts and then we also do a lot of feedback casts so yeah just kind of staying on top of what's currently happening in marvel we've been we've had it for seven years and so it's just been doing doing a lot of doing a lot of podcasting about the marvel cinematic universe so so, I, so this is very comfortable place for me so thank you for having me this is, <laughs> is the easiest podcast to jump into so i'm glad to have you well our, our pleasure especially now that you are an award-winning podcast yeah, host um, right <laughs> <laughs> which we'll de- definitely talk more about that in the next couple of days yeah, but yeah. yeah it's a great podcast your podcast is really how i got into podcasting i've told the story before about you know when i was driving back and forth across the country a lot a lot of the time uh listening to just you guys go deep on mcu stuff was fantastic and i will continue to recommend to any mcu fan definitely check out that podcast so thank you so much for being a part of this andy thank you so much for uh everything we're doing and to all our fans you're what makes this possible. Thank you so much, and have a great day. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. True Story.